continuing our journey through the Gospel of Luke. And um, it's my lifelong task now to preach these next 24 chapters to you. And it will take a while, so buckle in. Uh, shameless plug tonight, if you come back, we began a series a couple weeks ago on suffering and the sovereignty of God. And in that first sermon, we dealt with the existence of pain fact that there is evil, suffering, and pain in our world. And tonight I want to preach about the God who is sovereign. I want to establish for you that God is sovereign over all things, even what we call bad. God is in charge of all of it. And so if, you can, if you've got the stomach for it, come on back tonight. It's not for the faint of heart, I promise you that. But uh, I promise not to offend more than half of you. I might offend all of you, but that'll be my aim anyway. So yeah, come back tonight. Suffering and the sovereignty of God is what we're talking about. And I'm establishing first there is evil, then we're establishing God is sovereign. Then we're going to start blending those two together and show how God works even through our pain to accomplish his glory and how God uses even what we see as catastrophe and evil to magnify his name and accomplish his purposes. That's the aim. So... Be back for that tonight. That'll be at 6 o'clock. This morning we're in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 20, uh, 25. Luke chapter 2, verse number 25. If you found that, we'll stand together. We'll read down through verse number 33 and preach a little bit of it, maybe all of it. We'll see what unfolds here. I never know when I start. The Bible says in Luke 2, verse 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. You can be seated. Thank you. Mary and Joseph have taken Jesus to the temple. They took him the first time when he was eight days old to be circumcised in verse number 21. And now they bring him back to the temple when he's 40 days old to offer sacrifices for Mary's purification. While they are in the temple that day, some unusual events take place. Two total strangers, a man by the name of Simeon, we've just read about him in verses 25 through 36. And then in verses 37 through 38, the Bible introduces us to a woman by the name of Anna. These two total strangers approach the young couple and the baby Jesus. Now, these two strangers have come to the temple that day 
knowing who Jesus is. Before they even get there, they understand what's going on. Simeon and Anna speak about the baby Jesus, about who he is, and about what he will do during his life. Simeon, for his part, talks to Mary and tells her what she can expect. Anna just tells everybody she can see about who Jesus is. Over the next few weeks, we're going to consider the words of both Simeon and Anna as they speak about the Lord of the temple in the temple of the Lord. Now, in this message, we're going to consider the first part of Simeon's words to Mary about Jesus and who he is. And I want you to go with me as we walk through these verses today and consider who Simeon is and hopefully, if we get there, what he has to say about Jesus. There are some lessons here in this passage, and I want to share those lessons with you as we talk about Simeon's testimony. And these lessons are important because they teach us much about Simeon and they teach us much about Jesus, but they also teach us much about ourselves. Now, it's good to know who Simeon is. It's great to know who Jesus is. But before you can understand really much about who he is, sometimes you've got to know who you are. And so we're going to find out something about us as well. So notice these lessons. I'll share the first one, maybe as far as I get, but we'll see. In verse 25, I want you to notice with me Simeon's personality. Now, verse 25 introduces us to this man, and we don't know much about him. In fact, all we know about Simeon is what we find written in these verses. We have no idea how old he is. But from what he says in verse 29, it seems to me that Simeon is ready to die. He may be an older man, but we're not sure. We don't know if he was married. We have no idea if he had children. We don't know what type of occupation he had given his life to. We don't know which tribe he was from. Simeon appears for a moment on the pages of the Bible, and then he disappears back into obscurity. Like many of the characters who show themselves in the Word of God, Simeon is a man somewhat shrouded in mystery. But while we don't know a lot about his personal character, the Bible does give us some insight into his spiritual life. And verse 25 tells us what kind of man Simeon was on a spiritual level and how he walked with the Lord. So notice a few thoughts that come out of verse number 25 about Simeon's spiritual condition. Verse 25, again, let me read it to you one more time. It says, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Now, the name Simeon means God has heard. That tells me that Simeon is a representative man. Simeon is a man who represents the faithful remnant in Israel. He represents the people who have been praying for the Lord to send them a deliverance. And as Simeon's name implies, God has heard their prayers. They have been praying for hundreds of years for God to send the Messiah, and God has heard their prayers, and and because of that, Simeon is a representative man. Now, many Israelites had lived and died and had never seen God fulfill His promise or answer their prayers to send a Messiah. 
But even though God did not answer their prayers in their lifetime, God still heard their prayers. Thank God He is the God who hears. But now the time has come for God to answer their prayers. And God has sent the Messiah in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. What I like about people like Simeon is they they never give up. And they keep praying. And when the time was right, God answered His people's prayers. Galatians 4.4 tells us that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman. God did not send Jesus until the divine timing was right, until God had ordered and orchestrated everything as it should be. And when that time came, God sent Jesus into the world to accomplish His purpose. Now, there's a lesson in Simeon for us, if you'll give me a minute to share it with you. And I would say to you today that we should never give up on the Lord. I know that many of you have prayed a long time about issues in your life and in the lives of others, and you're still waiting on God to answer. Now, if you are the Lord's, listen to what I'm about to say. God has heard every prayer you've prayed. Your prayers have not fallen on deaf ears. God has heard you because He is the God who hears. In His time and in His way, He will answer your prayers in a way which glorifies Him and in a way which is best for you. So keep praying. Keep praying because God hears you when you pray and God will hear and answer your prayers. God said, call unto me and I will answer thee and shew thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. God is a God who both hears and answers the prayers of His people. So keep that in mind. Simeon means God hears, God has heard, and he is a representative man who represents that faithful remnant in Israel. Then verse 25 also says about him, and the same man was just and devout. Let's talk about those two words. Simeon is called a just man. The word just means to be righteous. And in this context, it has the idea of a person being right with God. Now understand what I'm going to say here. Simeon was not righteous through his own efforts. His good life and his good deeds did not earn him righteousness in the eyes of God. What it means is is that he was a true believer in God and he believed in God's promise to send a Messiah who would redeem his people. Simeon did not earn his righteousness by living a clean life, but he was made righteous because he took God at his word. Just like Abraham, who in Genesis 15, 6, the Bible says about him, he believed in the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness. When Abraham's faith was placed in God alone, God gave him the righteousness which comes by faith. And Simeon had that same type of faith. And he also was made righteous in the eyes of the Lord. He was a true believer. Now, this glimpse in the spiritual life of Simeon reminds us of an important truth. Simeon reminds us that we can't earn righteousness in the eyes of God by our good works or by our religious efforts. I don't want to hurt your feelings today. 
But the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I am a sinner preaching to a group of sinners. All of us are guilty in the eyes of God. None of us are clean in and of ourselves. In fact, the best you and I can produce is pure evil in the eyes of God. Isaiah said, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. We are dirty, and the best we can produce is dirty. You and I can never produce anything of spiritual worth in the eyes of God out of our own selves. So we're not made righteous by the good we can do in life. Keep that in mind. I feel like our churches today in many cases are filled with people who have gone to an altar and prayed a prayer and they think because they've done that and they've been baptized and joined the church and give a little money and show up every now and then for preaching that everything's okay. They're better than their neighbor after all. So if they're better than their neighbor, then God must weigh that in the balance and say, well, you know, he's a pretty good guy. I think I'll let him in. That is not how this thing works. The Bible teaches us that unless we are righteous, we cannot see God. And the only way we'll ever attain the righteousness we need is if that righteousness is given to us or imputed to us through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is always by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And until we place our faith in Jesus alone, through the pleading grace of the Holy Ghost, when God, the Spirit of God woos us to Jesus and draws us to Him and gives us faith to believe, and we believe the gospel, the righteousness of Christ is imputed unto us. And when we believe the gospel, the Bible tells us that we are justified or declared righteous in the eyes of God. I don't have this up on the screen. I'm going to read it to you. You can turn, if you like, Romans chapter 4 and verse number 20, where Paul here is talking about Abraham. And he says in verse 20, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he, God, was able also to perform. Listen now. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. He believed God, and God said, I accept your faith, and I declare you to be righteous in my eyes. But listen, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. So the Bible is clear. Righteousness comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. When we believe the good news of the gospel, we are made right or just in the eyes of God. 
That's how Abraham got it. That's how Simeon got it. That's how you and I get it too. How does it work, preacher? Here it is. For he hath made him, that is God has made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Everyone who believes in Jesus by faith is made just or righteous in the eyes of God. Now that does not mean we will be perfect. In fact, we are far from perfect. I wish I was perfect. I was in Atlanta this week. Went down on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and yesterday I sat through uh, three sessions of preaching. I listened to 16 sermons in two and a half days. And I got a lot of preaching. Didn't none of them preach less than an hour, man. They, they loaded us down. But none of that preaching has the power to make me righteous. In fact, in that group of 5,000 close personal friends I was with, I'm sure there were many who did not know the Lord. No doubt there were some in that number who had religion, but they had no faith in God. They were just in the eyes of man, but they were dirty in the eyes of the Lord. The only thing that matters when this life ends is whether or not you are in Jesus Christ. For if you are in Him, God will accept you, and if you are not, God will condemn you to hell. But everyone who believes on Jesus is made just. But the Bible doesn't just say he was just. It also says in verse 25 that he was devout. I like that word, devout. That word means to be cautious. And it refers to a person who is careful in his or her walk with the Lord. It speaks of a life which is circumspect of a life which is full of reverence for God and His Word. Simeon was a man who was cautious about the way he lived his life. There was a reverence in him for what God said in His Word and for what God wanted through His will. So Simeon lived a cautious life designed to glorify God and to point others to the God who saves sinners. Bottom line, Simeon lived his life in in an effort to please the Lord. Simeon is the kind of person God uses for his glory. Simeon is the kind of person God uses for his glory. Simeon is the kind of person God uses for his glory. Simeon is the kind of person God uses for His glory. He uses people who are just, righteous, and who are cautious. He uses people who are right in His eyes, and He uses people who are circumspect in their walk. God uses people of faith who live their lives for Him. He is the kind of person God wants each of His children to to be. God wants us to have this absolute faith in Him and He wants us to live for Him in all we do. And thus God wants us to be a devout 
a cautious, a reverent, a circumspect, or if you will, in language you might understand, He wants us to be a holy people, separated unto God and His Word and His will. When we do, He is glorified and others are appointed to Him. Because we live in a world that is anything but just and devout. We are surrounded by people who live life any way they want to live. And someone who is just and someone who is devout, they stand out in our culture like a sore thumb. And people will wonder what in the world is different about them. What's different is Jesus. Because when He saves you, not only does He make you just, but He begins a sanctifying process in your life in which He makes you devout. And we ought to strive for that. Yielding to God in every area of our life so God can reproduce the life of Christ in us. Y'all with me? (laughs) Verse 25, back in our text. The Bible says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout. Then it says, Waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now the word consolation there means encouragement or comfort. The people of Israel were an oppressed people. They had been for hundreds of years. Currently, when this was written, they were being oppressed by the Romans. The Romans had occupied Israel and had imposed Roman law upon them and they were oppressed by the Romans. But outside of that, they were oppressed by the Pharisees. Those religious leaders among them who imposed legalistic demands on the people which exceeded what God called for in His law. So there was social, there was social uh, oppression. And there was religious oppression. But it wasn't just the Pharisees who were oppressing them religiously. They were also oppressed by the Sadducees. Because the Sadducees were leading the people into religious liberalism in which they denied the resurrection and many other biblical truths. And this oppression, as I said, was nothing new for hundreds of years. They had prayed, the Israelites in their oppression, had prayed for God to fulfill His promise to send them a deliverer who God said would deliver His people from the bondage of their enemies, who would establish Israel as a great world kingdom, who would bless them in immeasurable ways and bring comfort and encouragement into their lives. And many had given up hope because centuries had passed. And their prayers had not been answered. Still, there was a faithful remnant. And Simeon was part of that faithful remnant. He lived his life confidently expecting the Messiah to come into the world. And thus, he ordered his life. Listen to this. He ordered his life. He ordered his life according to that expectation. Simeon said, Messiah is coming. I'm waiting on His comfort. I'm waiting for Him to come and deliver us. And I'm going to live the kind of life that is just and devout so that I will be ready to meet Him when He does come. He knew Messiah was coming. 
And so he wanted to live appropriately. What about us? We know the consolation of Israel has already come. We know He came. We know He lived. We know He died. We know He resurrected. We know He ascended. And we also know He is coming again to establish a kingdom. But we have no idea when the Lord will come. And there's much debate surrounding when and how He will return. But here's the problem. None of that matters. It does not matter to me whether you're a premillennialist, a postmillennialist, an amillennialist, a preterist. I don't care what your eschatological background is. What matters is our lives here will end someday. That's the point. And they will either end in death or they will end with the Lord's return for His people. Either way, we are called to live in constant expectation of His coming. Whether he comes in glory, whether he comes in a secret rapture, or whether he comes to the door of death, one day I'm leaving here and I need to be ready when that day comes. That's why Jesus said, therefore be ye also ready. He didn't say get ready. He said be ready. Maintain a state of readiness. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. So let us learn from Simeon. Let us strive to be just and strive to be devout, living cautious lives designed to glorify God. That's what God wants. So Simeon, God has heard. He's just. He's a faith-filled believer. God has accepted him and God has we might say saved him and declared him righteous. He is a devout or cautious man who lives his life under the direction of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. And he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And then the Bible tells us about him last in verse 25. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? That means that Simeon was a spirit-anointed man. Like many of the saints in 